0: Diabetes doesn't know race, it doesn't know social economics, and it doesn't know where you're from. You know, and I think collectively, together, we have to understand that different demographics and different communities are kind of hit a little bit differently. We have to figure out how do we get into those underserved areas and help those individuals. Cause there are a lot of issues that come with being in underserved areas, living in food deserts. I couldn't imagine, you know, growing up not having access to technology or insulin or even food. In a lot of these places, the the thing is it's like, do I pay rent or do I do I get insulin from my, you know, from my child, you know, or for myself. You know, that's tough to deal with. I mean, you need insulin and you need food. It is really, really tough and it's it's a it's a huge challenge. But I think when we look at it on the grand on the grand scheme of things, we understand that somehow we have to get in there and help whether it's by getting the resources, getting them education, or getting them motivation and and support. Welcome to the
1: Diabetes Psychologist podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Heyman, and I invite you to join us as we talk candidly about the emotional challenges of living with type one diabetes. We'll give you actionable strategies to help you face these challenges head on, reduce your stress, And most importantly, live a full life without letting diabetes get in the way. Hey there, a quick question for you. Does type 1 diabetes make you feel stuck? Do you feel like type 1 limits you and makes it harder to do the things that you want to do? If so, I have a free guide that can help you get unstuck and become more flexible in your life with type 1 diabetes. To download your free copy, go to www.thediabetespsychologist.com backslash get unstuck. That's thediabetespsychologist.com backslash get unstuck. And be sure to follow me on Instagram at thediabetespsychologist for access to even more exclusive content. Hey there, welcome to the Diabetes Psychologist podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Heyman. In my work as a diabetes psychologist, I have some core values. And I want to talk about a couple of these core values as an introduction to this podcast. The first core value is inclusion. It is so important to me to make sure that everyone has a voice and that no one with diabetes is left behind. I'm passionate about working to help everyone with diabetes live a full life without letting diabetes get in the way. But like most of us, sometimes I'm a creature of habit and I surround myself with people who are like me. But remembering my core value of inclusion, I want to push myself to make sure I'm living out this value. I want to make sure that I hear and that I share with my audience stories and experiences of people with diabetes that we may not have come across. Diabetes doesn't care about race, ethnicity, or social or economic status. So I want the diabetes community to be a true community and welcome and work to understand Everyone with diabetes. Another one of my core values is education. So I always want to continue learning. I work hard to acknowledge there are things that I just don't know. And when I realize there's something I need more information about, I look to people and resources that can help me learn and understand. And that brings me to my guest today on the podcast. My guest today is Brandon Denson. Brandon is someone I admire because he works so hard to understand people with diabetes, of all backgrounds, and to meet them where they are. Brandon is passionate about serving the needs of people with diabetes who are underrepresented. And he's done a lot of work in this area. After talking to Brandon, I realized that there's a whole lot more I need to understand in order to really serve the needs of everyone with diabetes. And I hope that this conversation brings some insight that can help you and me to make the diabetes community more inclusive. Here's my conversation with Brandon. Brandon, I'm so thrilled to have you on the show today. Thanks so much for joining me.
0: Uh, thank, Thanks for having me, Mark.
1: You bet. Take some time to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your life with diabetes.
0: Oh, man. Well, my name is Brandon A. Denson, and I am the face of diabetes. Uh, that's what I go by. And I currently live in San Diego, California, and I've been living with type one diabetes for 17 years.
1: Awesome. Tell us a little bit about your diagnosis.
0: Man, my diagnosis, uh, I remember it just like it was yesterday. I think a lot of a lot of us do uh, that were diagnosed later on, you know, in our in our later years, our teen years and things like that. Um, When I was first diagnosed, I didn't know really what was going on. The one of the symptoms that I had, I was urinating a lot. I had just recently had a, a knee surgery. I wasn't practicing with football and I was using the bathroom a lot. I didn't really know why. And then I told my mother that I was using the bathroom a lot. And then I ended up, uh, she told me if it continued to let her know the next day. So after football practice, I went over to my friend's house. We we're playing a game of Madden. Uh, the, the quarters were on five minutes apiece. I probably used the bathroom about 15 times. So I ended up calling my mom, let her know. And then uh she was like, come home now. And then she took me to my primary care physician. And when she did that, when I got there, I had to use the bathroom again. And they end up they told me not to flush, not to flush the toilet. And they end up checking ketones at that time i had no clue what ketones were and the doctor came came into the room It was like i need you to take him to the emergency room right now and uh, she drove me up the street to the university of michigan and that's really where everything started to unfold uh, as far as me being diagnosed with type 1 diabetes
1: how are things going with diabetes for you right now
0: i think i think good you know um currently uh, i started when i the reason for me moving to san diego is because i wanted to further help people within the diabetes community and me and my co-founder of bolus maximus which is a nonprofit uh that we started that started little probably about a year ago but the 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 actual ideas came from about three and a half four years ago and we're executing a lot of those things but i think the my diabetes in general has been doing good because i have I'm, i'm more more in tune with the community you know more from from a standpoint of listening to them and understanding trying to figure out the, what the problems are and figuring out what solutions are to those problems. Cause I know, you know, we've all had problems and we've all been in a situation where we may not have had the best support, but it is, understanding that if I need this support, then there's somebody else out there that needs that support. And right now, you know, we host calls every single Sunday and it's been, it's been forever life changing for myself, my co-founder, Matthew Tarot, and then also just the, our, our members from the community that, that actually join.
1: Yeah, and I'll make sure that I put all the information for both Maximus in the show notes for today's episode so people can get in touch and join you guys if they want to.
0: Definitely, we appreciate that.
1: Before we dive into our topic for today, I can't let you go without talking about your football career.
0: Oh, man. Well, if you call it a career, (laughs) what would you like to know?
1: (laughs) Start by telling us about walking on the Michigan State football team.
0: So I... I always had a dream on playing Division I football. No stranger. This might be my first time actually on air telling somebody this story. I grew up a huge Michigan fan. Um, my teammates are going to kill me if they hear this. I grew, up, I grew up a true Michigan fan. My godfather was uh, near and dear to to go blue. And seeing the, the atmosphere, being around it as a young kid, you know, I played football since I was in fifth grade. So I, I always had access to go to the games. A lot of people don't know this. I had an opportunity to kind of be around like Charles Woodson in that very, very special year that Michigan had in 1997 with Lloyd Carr and Marcus Ray and like a lot of, it was a lot of stellar athletes on that team. And that really solidified for me that I that I wanted to play Division One football. And I ended up having the opportunity to walk on at Michigan State University and it was forever life changing. I, I wouldn't change that experience for anything because I have some true bonds that I made. But it was uh it, it was something that kind of envisioned as being very, very young, that I wanted to go to the next level. And I was able to do it, you know, and I was able to do it while living with type one diabetes. You know, a lot of people died, doubted me that that I wouldn't make it, that I wouldn't be able to do it. But, you know, the vision that I had in my head may not have matched the vision that they had of me. But definitely the way i looked at it was like i'm unstoppable and you know i when i was diagnosed with diabetes i told myself i'm not going to let this get in my way it doesn't define me or what i'm capable of doing
1: wow that's awesome i love that story so the reason i wanted to have you on the podcast today is because a couple weeks ago we were chatting And talking about something that you're really passionate about, and that is type 1 diabetes in underrepresented communities, and especially the unique mental health challenges that people with diabetes from underrepresented communities experience. To start off, um, I want you to tell my listeners, what do you want them to know about type 1 diabetes in these communities?
0: I think the most important thing is diabetes doesn't know race, it doesn't know social economics, and it doesn't know where you're from. You know, and I think collectively together we have to understand that different demographics and different communities are kind of hit a little bit differently when we look at trauma. You know, I uh, I think one of the biggest things of having the opportunity to work specifically in Detroit, I love I love the city of Detroit. I'm I'm from right outside of Detroit. Detroit holds a special place in my heart. One, it's the Big Three. The individuals from there are blue collar, hard working, tough. You know, it's a tough city. It's a it's a unique place. And I think when people look at it, they're like Detroit. Like when I even when I moved to California, you're from Detroit. It's like, yeah, I'm, I'm from Detroit. And it's almost looked at it as in a negative way. But it's a beautiful it's a really beautiful place. And the people are amazing. But I think we have to figure out how do we get into those underserved areas and help those individuals and this goes for people living with diabetes and not living with diabetes, you know, because there are a lot of issues that that come with like being in underserved areas, living in food deserts. You know, I, I couldn't imagine, you know, growing up not having access to technology or insulin or even food. You know, you got to think in a lot of these places. The 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 thing is, it's like, do I pay rent or do I do I get insulin for my, you know, for my child, you know, or for myself, you know, and. And that's that that's tough. You know, that's tough to deal with. I mean, you need insulin and you need food and you need the lights on, you know, and it just, it, it's just it's really, really tough. And it's, it's a it's a huge challenge. But I think when we look at it on the grand on the grand scheme of things, we understand that somehow we have to get in there and help, whether it's by getting the resources, getting them education or getting them motivation and, and support.
1: And I wanted to get into something you said a little while ago about trauma in unrepresented communities, especially in your experience. How does trauma impact diabetes and mental health in these communities?
0: Tremendously. Tremendously. I think the trauma, um, most importantly, I I think when we look at it on, on on a bigger scale, without the diabetes, it causes a lot of mental stress and mental stress that may be Individuals don't even think that they have, but they're because they're going through it, and they don't they don't ever have an opportunity to step back and, and take a look at it. But then I look at it, you throw the diabetes in there too. Now that's a whole nother element of, of mental stress and, and trauma. And if you don't deal with it the right way, it has a ripple effect. You know, so we go from just the normal trauma to throwing the diabetes in there, and then now we have more trauma. So now it's like times two or times a hundred thousand or whatever you want to call it, but it's like trauma, trauma, and then they mix together and it's like the perfect storm that just causes, you know, complete chaos, you know, and if you can't get a grip on one side of the trauma, then how do you, how do you get a grip on it with the diabetes as well? And I think coming from those areas when you don't have somebody to kind of talk to about the trauma or nobody takes it serious. And I know coming from a black community, you know, and being a male and looking at it, I'm a minority as a type 1 diabetic, I'm a minority as a male and I'm a minority as being black. what you realize is being a male coming from there you you it's a, people look at you like like you're pitiful if you let your guard down but it's like you have to be able to talk about certain things like you have to because if you hold on to that, you got, you're got your you're a ticking time bomb and you know I think it's okay. To, to talk about those things that that either bother you or you're uncomfortable with or um, or just being like, hey, just, just let some tears fall and, you know, fall down. Like, it's OK. We're human, you know. It, it, but I think coming from those communities, you're looked at as you're not tough. If you if you if there's something wrong upstairs, you know, it, it, and it sucks because, you know, these are the things that people are like, oh, well, like I, 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 I I'm, I'm tough. But deep down, you're, that person is hurting inside.
1: And that's true on diabetes too. You say, I'm tough, I I can I got this, but you're ignoring it or you're not paying attention to it and you feel awful. And that makes you want to push it away even more.
0: Correct, correct, it does, it does. And you know when you don't have somebody that you can talk to about those things, it makes it extremely, extremely difficult, extremely difficult.
1: Ren, you, you and I both know how important support is in the diabetes community and, and being around other people who have diabetes has been a game changer for so many of us. What are the specific support challenges that people of color with diabetes have?
0: I don't think they have somebody that looks like them, and when you don't have somebody that looks like you, it kind of changes the dynamic. I'll give you an example. I, you know, I don't know how big your high school was or how many people went there or or, or what the you know how the race the race the race is split up. Mm-hmm. I went to a. Uh, Pretty 50-50 type of school, high school. And when you walk in that lunchroom, that lets you know everything right there. You got the Black people that sit with the Black people. You got the white people that sit with the white people. And then you got the people that are in between that, you know, sit a little bit of everywhere. And I think in in a Black community, you have all Black people. So if you go to a white community and you're not accepted or looked at as an equal, that can be a little daunting and and it can make you think like, well, do I belong here? You know, and it make you feel uncomfortable, especially if you're not welcomed into those particular circles. It, It doesn't it doesn't necessarily feel good. But, you know, some people are okay with that and they just say, hey, I'm human. You know, I want to get to know these individuals or, you know, it could be from a white side, could be from a black side, Hispanic side, um, Asian side, Arab side, Indian side. It can, you know, but the thing is, like sometimes when a room is overcrowded and you don't feel like you have somebody that you can connect with, Mm -hmm. you either you either shut down or you step back, step away, and sometimes that's what you end up seeing happening a lot because people, people kind of resonate with the same people. They want to, they want to get to know and they want to talk to the same, the same individuals that are like them or like minded or that even look like them, you know. And that, for me, I think that that has been something that I've been trying to break the barrier down because predominantly a lot of stuff that I've done, it hasn't been in in a black community space. I've done things in the black community space, but when we speak for diabetes, I've kind of been on the other side of the fence, trying to figure out how do we fix this problem? Yeah.
1: So what I'm hearing you say is that a lot of the diabetes community, the online community and people who go to conferences and just people gather who have diabetes and have that support, those communities tend to be more white. And so having people of color come in and try to get support in those can be challenging.
0: Very, very challenging. I, I would say um, some people in the community, um, the Dope Diabetic Girls Club, they're they're doing an awesome job on you know putting more visibility out there and also you know creating a space so so all walks of life can come, but specifically for females, I would say with bolus Maximus, what we do, um, yes, our focus in the beginning was, was on men, you know, to, to have those tough conversations that men don't have, uh, surrounding diabetes and health in general. Um, but you know, our platform is open to, to all humans and I'll say, uh, diversity in diabetes, um, by, by Quisha Ememba. And then also Casey, her co-founder Casey, blinking on her last name, you know, they're doing some awesome stuff to kind of help bridge that gap too, within the community on giving people places to go.
1: What has been your experience coming into the diabetes community as a person of color?
0: You know what? My my parents did an excellent job. I can't take that from them. But when I look at this whole thing in general, we all deal with the same things, you know, no matter what our color is. So my my interest into the diabetes community came from a letter that, I, that was written to me when I played at Michigan State and uh, my coach left it in my locker. Man, I get chills just thinking about it because it really touched me. It made me realize like, how much of an impact that I had on a young man at that at that time, and uh, he was 13 at the time. Nate Bob, and in that letter, he stated that he had been to every Michigan State home game since he was one years old, and he told me that I saved a touchdown versus Indiana. I had like three, I had like three solo tackles on on kickoff, and I did save a touchdown. There was a guy by the name of uh, Marcus Thigpen. He was a very fast guy out of Detroit. In that letter, he just said that he had diabetes and and that he wanted me to be Ohio State. When you get stuff like that from, from individuals that look up to you, I, I can't look at color. You know what I mean? I'm looking at, you know, how do I make an impact, a, a life-lasting impact on an individual? Not an influence, but an impact. And I think I've, I was able to do that. And I'm not saying that he has success because of me, but, you know, when you have individuals and you know individuals from a younger age, one that look like you, or even if they don't look like you and they understand what you're going through, it just makes a big difference, you know, how you how you kind of handle things and take things on in, in life, especially dealing with diabetes.
1: You and I are both very action-oriented people. We, we wanna solve problems where they exist. And I wanna know what are your big ideas for addressing type one diabetes-related mental health concerns for people of color with diabetes?
0: I think one of the biggest things uh, we have to stop saying that we have the answers and we know what's right. We have to go ask the questions, the tough questions and ask, what do people need? Because if we don't ask what they need, we can't give them we can't give them what they need. You know, and I think one of the biggest things coming from, you know, uh, organizations or even, you know, big companies is that, you know, they have a mission. They have a they have a, a, a duty and a job to do as well. but ultimately it can't always be about profit it has to be about how do we make an impact on these people for healthier happier lifestyles you know if that's if that's in regards to setting up support groups and meeting meeting individuals in the community where they are you know a lot of a lot of issues come from lack of transportation lack of resources lack of education lack of motivation i think we have to step up and be a little bit more on the offensive side versus the defensive side and letting people come to us, we have to be active instead of being reactive.
1: And I think that every piece of the diabetes community has a role to play there. Certainly people with diabetes, the healthcare system, but also the diabetes industry, CGM and pump companies, insulin companies, we all have a role to play in supporting everyone with diabetes, but supporting them, as you said, in the way that they need to be supported and meeting them where they are.
0: For Sure. It's like playing high and go seek, right? At the end of the day, in order to, to win the game, you got to find people, right? So, you know, I don't look at it as diabetes as a game, but I look at it as we can't say that we can't find these people because we have social media, mm. we have great community leaders, we have great organizations within the community. So if that means that, you know, the companies and the other organizations have to work together, for better outcomes for everybody, then that's what we have to come to the table and figure out how do we do that. We have a job as people living with diabetes. We also have a job from companies and organizations to, to, to show up in, in the spaces that the people are struggling or need help. And then just as a community, we have, to be, we have to work better together to make sure we're educating people within the community and making sure we're getting them to the right resources as well.
1: What is the one thing that you would want a person with type 1 diabetes from an underrepresented community to know about diabetes and mental health?
0: Don't ignore it. You know, if, if you're questioning, like, I'm not good or, you know, I don't ignore it. You know, don't don't ignore it. Don't don't push it to the side. You know, and I think that's one of the biggest things that. I'm not going to say the biggest thing, but it's one of the easiest things to do and just not notice it. Like you notice it, but you're like, ah, it's not, it's not a big deal. But then you keep saying, oh, it's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. And then before you know it, it's, it's far too late. You know, I think it's okay to have those conversations to, you know, to actually be like, like, I'm not, I'm not good. I think about somebody in an underserved area, you know, having kids, let's, let's speak on it like a parent, a parent that has type one diabetes. They have kids. They might be a single family parent. They're the ones that are bringing in all the money. They have to take care of the kids. And then they have the stress of living with diabetes. That's like, that's a lot. And sometimes you're on the go, go, go so much. You don't realize that you are trying to keep everything else afloat is actually probably not the best thing because internally you're not even okay, but you don't even notice it, you know?
1: What is the one thing that you want the people listening to this podcast today to take away from our conversation?
0: I will say the the number one thing is even though we live with diabetes it doesn't define who you are what you're capable of doing you know and I mean that in in, in multiple different ways you know like whatever like literally whatever it is like you're capable of doing it but I will say if you if you feel like something's not right or you're off or you need help, reach out, you know, reach out. If if you have access to the internet, like reach out to somebody online. You never know how that can actually change the narrative of everything and put you on a better path, you know, just by reaching out to an individual. I think people with other chronic illnesses may, may not like this, but I think we have one of the strongest communities. And I say that because we deal with stuff that people don't even know that we deal with because they can't, they can't see it. They can't physically see it. You know, at times you can, you can kind of see when things are out, but the fact of the matter is like, you could be having a horrible day at work and nobody probably will even know, you know what I mean? It, like we, we, we have to wear our disease. It's almost like it's, it, it's pretty much invisible most of the time. And I think with that being said, it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to reach out. And if you, if you're in a situation where you don't feel like, feel like you got it, Just reach out, just reach out to somebody. Well, that's
1: awesome, Brendan. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. This was awesome. And I I think that we can all work together as a community, both you and me together, but also all of our listeners to pay attention to everyone with diabetes, including our underrepresented communities and really do everything that we can to support each other, no matter what.
0: Definitely. Definitely. I agree. And I, I look forward to working with you too, Mark. I really do.
1: Diabetes doesn't live in a bubble. Everyone with type one diabetes has a backstory with different experiences and backgrounds that they bring to their life with diabetes. So what does this mean? It means that everyone's experience with diabetes is going to be different. And much of that experience is gonna be influenced by the environment that you live in. I know I say this a lot, but managing type one diabetes is stressful for anyone. And for many people, it's by far the most stressful thing that they deal with in their life. For many people with diabetes from underrepresented communities, diabetes is just one of many stressors. When type one diabetes is piled onto all the other stressors, it makes managing diabetes a lot more complicated and it also reinforces and adds to past stressors and traumas. There are a couple of things that Brandon said that stood out to me about diabetes and mental health in underrepresented communities. The first is access to resources. Without access to basic needs like food, let alone healthy food, managing blood sugars is going to be really difficult, especially if you live in a food desert. This is something that many of us, myself included, have a hard time wrapping our head around. Not having access to what you need to meet your basic nutrition needs as a person with diabetes has got to be terrifying and make you feel out of control. This is in addition to access to insulin and education. Not having access to education and information about what diabetes is and how it's managed can make you feel helpless. If your blood sugars are out of range, you're going to feel awful. And if you have no idea why it's happening or what you can do about it, and you don't have access to the tools you need to bring your blood sugars down, including insulin and technology, you're going to feel even more helpless and even hopeless. The research really illustrates this challenge. A recent study published in Diabetes Technology and Therapeutics showed that while 72% of Caucasian people with diabetes have used an insulin pump, only 39% of people who are Hispanic and 18% of people who are Black have used an insulin pump. And the numbers are similar with CGM use. With 71% of people with diabetes who are Caucasian having used a CGM, only 37% of Hispanics and only 28% of people who are Black have used a CGM. These numbers are pretty astounding and really work to illustrate the access issues that people from underrepresented communities have in getting a hold of diabetes technology and feeling comfortable using it. We also know that one of the critical pieces of mental health for people with diabetes is getting support. Specifically, getting support from people that you can relate to. People who are like you and you can see yourself in. This hit me really hard when Brandon talked about how people of color who live with diabetes wonder if they belong in the diabetes community. That's if they even know that there's a community of people living with diabetes out there. Living all alone with diabetes is a lonely place to be. And if you feel you don't belong in a place where people get what diabetes is like, oh man, that's got to be tough. We have to find ways to meet everyone where they are and get them the education and support they need to live well with diabetes. I'm really left wondering what I can do to help support the diabetes-related mental health needs of people from unrepresented communities. And I'll be honest, I feel overwhelmed and a little helpless. But I go back to my conversation with Brandon, where I think he said it so well. I know I don't have the answers, and I'm not going to pretend like I do. But I can ask the question, what do you need? Making assumptions about what people need is a mistake and one we all make. But acting on assumptions almost always backfires. What I need is not what other people may need, especially if their circumstances are different than mine. It's a great reminder that there's no one-size-fits-all approach to diabetes and mental health. What someone needs depends on a lot of different factors. To sum up, here are my key takeaways from this episode and my conversation with Brandon. Number one, diabetes doesn't discriminate. It can impact anyone of any background, but everyone with diabetes has different needs. What I need may not be what someone else needs, especially if their circumstances and background are different from mine. We have to remember this, if we're gonna meet the mental health needs of everyone in the diabetes community. Second, it's important to have people with diabetes in your life who look like you, who you can relate to. And if you don't, it can make you feel like you don't belong and you won't engage. Having people you can identify with and get you and get your diabetes is key. This includes your diabetes care team and mental health support, and also the folks talking about diabetes technology. I want to encourage people who work with insulin pump and CGM companies to really work to understand how they can better gain the trust of people from underrepresented communities. And my guess is that means having people who look like them do the talking, both patients and company representatives, so that they can really gain that trust. Finally, we can't make assumptions about what people need. We need to ask them what they need and keep asking. We need to continually work to understand people's needs and never stop trying to understand them. Only through understanding and humility can the diabetes community be inclusive and welcoming to everyone with diabetes and effectively address everyone's diabetes-related mental health needs, whatever they may be. Before you go, can I ask you a quick favor? If this podcast has been helpful for you, I would really appreciate it if you would leave a five-star rating and post a review on iTunes. That helps me get the word out about this podcast, so as many people as possible with type 1 diabetes can benefit from it. I always love hearing from my listeners. To get in touch, you can find me on Instagram at Psychologist or send me an email to mark at thediabetespsychologist.com. You can also find me on the web at thediabetespsychologist.com. That does it for this episode of the Diabetes Psychologist podcast. Be sure to tune in next Thursday for a brand new episode. Bye until then. Thanks so much for listening. For more resources, you can visit www.thediabetespsychologist.com and be sure to sign up for the email list for access to exclusive content. I'm Dr. Mark Heyman, and tune in next time for the latest episode of the Diabetes Psychologist podcast.